Some bonds last a lifetime. Some bonds inspire confidence. And some you grow to rely on. These are the bonds worth investing in. For nearly 50 years, PIMCO has reinvented fixed income to create opportunities for investors in every market environment. So no matter what happens, you can build the bonds that mean the most to you. PIMCO, a global leader in active fixed income. Learn more at PIMCO.com bonds. All investments contain risk and may lose value. Consult your investment professional before investing. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate, teach, and put it in context. So call me, 1-800-743-CBC. Tweet me, at Jim Kramer. No, oil isn't worthless. No, not every brick-and-mortar retailer is going to zero. No, not every biotech will keep rallying every day. But that's sure the way it feels like on a day when oil imploded. The stock market got slammed because of it. Dow losing 592 points. S&P sinking 1.79%. But the Nasdaq declining only 1.03%. Why? Of course, because it's got a lot of tech and biotech. Now, I don't blame a soul for being confused here. Because the situation is, well, uh, confusing. We're in uncharted waters right now. We're witnessing some historic divergences that don't lead, lend themselves to easy explanation. We have to take them one at a time because some of these are so extreme that they almost feel like science fiction. Like the price of oil falling to negative $37 and change today. Yeah, that's right. You heard me. Negative 37 minus sign. Let's start with oil as that meltdown was terrifying to watch. At dawn, crude was down about a buck and a half. A little bit below 20. Eh, it seemed okay. By the time the stock market opened, it was down 11. Then it went negative, meaning that whoever owned the oil last had to pay someone else to take it off their hands. Next thing you know, it was negative 10. Then it was negative 20. Then it was finally negative $37, which signals, yes, a totally broken market. How do you get this kind of action? Only one explanation. Someone with deep pockets made a huge bet that oil would bounce. Maybe at a couple of bucks when it was at a dollar. Who knows? Uh, but it didn't bounce. The scalper or scalpers, mostly financial holders, not actual oil sellers or buyers, ended up being scalped themselves. Here's the issue. When you buy the oil futures, you eventually have to take delivery of the actual barrels. That means buyers need to find someplace, any place to put the stuff, running out of storage space. So in the end, companies that had saved room ended up being paid a fortune to take the oil. Maybe they had empty tanker space or holes in the ground. Who knows? The thing is, this is mostly financial maybe even financial chicanery. Oil isn't really worthless. It's worth as much as it costs for that big buyer to find a home for all those barrels, other than his own swimming pool and thousands of others like it. We do know this. Very little actual oil traded. These were financial trades, where buyers stepped aside and pretty much tortured four sellers right until the end. It's a bit like the reverse of a short squeeze, where buyers have to pay up and up and up to bring their stock in. Rather than trying to explain any further than this, because it is so crazy, we're going to speak later in the show to Rusty Brazil of RBN Energy. He predicted the possibility of an oil Armageddon just last week. He's a major reason why I've been adamant that oils are too toxic to own. I hope if you watch this show that you don't own any of these things. He could also explain how this really wasn't about uh, there's, there's no price for oil. Look, it trades north of $20 according to next month's contract. It was just a breakdown about how oil trades on this particular day. But I do want to step back and point out that this whole oil blow up is emblematic of everything that's kind of awry or crazy or going wrong here. 
So many things are broken. So many prices have gone haywire in every different industry that the averages themselves are no longer capable of relaying what publicly traded companies are actually worth. For example, with crude negative territory, you could argue that every single oil company, every pipeline operator, every driller, every service fighter is effectively worthless. That's wrong. Many of these companies aren't really even levered to the near-term price of oil. Others are well-hedged. And while I'm sure they're aghast at what's happening, they're not jumping out of the windows. Really, this is a windfall for anyone with storage, because right now you could make fortune simply being paid to take oil and stick it somewhere. Then you can sell it off at a higher price a month from now. That's right. If you have storage, you could have gotten $37 to take each barrel. Then you sell those barrels in the futures market for 20 bucks a barrel. That's a malfunctioning market that it couldn't work today. Simply shouldn't happen. And it didn't involve a lot of volume. The oil market malfunctioned for the same reason that Amazon was up on a hideous day or Alibaba or Vertex or Shopify. And you know what that reason is. And so do I. That reason is COVID-19. How did the pandemic effectively destroy so many markets and today was the oil market? Because the worldwide lockdowns have destroyed demand. Normally, you'd expect actual buyers, companies that need oil to surface at the end of the day to take advantage of the weakness. Didn't happen. Hey, our government could have stepped in and put it all in the strategic petroleum reserve. That didn't happen either. Uh, Anyway, there was way too much for sale for that to matter. We know who didn't want any refiners, airlines, utilities or hedge funds who've been renting space at the big Cushing oil complex or on tankers, as all tankers seem to be full, witnessed the 90% rally in Nordic American tankers, the largest company. At the same time, the companies that usually benefit from cheap oil, the cruise lines, the airlines, the restaurants, well, they're not winners. Their weakness is the reason why oil collapse. People aren't going out. People aren't traveling. It all comes back to what everything comes back to, the virus. COVID-19 has robbed all the traditional buyers of demand and therefore of their money. If you're United Airlines, do you really need any near-term oil? No, all you need, what you need is a bailout from the government, some money, which you get. Where would you even put that oil? It's not not even your business. You're an airline, for heaven's sake. Can a cruise ship on Carnival or Royal Caribbean take oil down? For who? For what? They aren't even sailing, though I guess you could fill up the empty ships with barrels. I don't know. How about traditional gas stations? Makes sense. Why? The roads are empty. You don't need refined product. I would love to tell you that the oil stocks are all buys, value buys. But why? If this kind of nonsense keeps up month after month and it hasn't yet, well, these companies won't be able to stay in business. Many of them will go under. They'll be like retailers who had to close because of the disease. Some, maybe many, will never open again. We know that there are plenty of banks that are on the hooks for these loans to oil companies. Last week, we had the big banks reports, and they've all made lots of loans to this industry. Well, why not? It was a great growth industry for so long. I think they're probably reassessing their exposure right now, like this moment. They got clobbered today. A woeful group in need of, yes, a vaccine. Someone complained on Twitter today. Jim, what you do is talk about a vaccine. You know why? Because only a vaccine is going to bring us back to the way life was. The most important takeaway of today is you can't ignore something this big like oil. You can't say, oh, it's just those wacky oil traders. I sure wanted to do that all day. I rewrote this top like 10 times. While it definitely made things worse, the real story, though, is without real demand, a lot of things go wrong, whether it be with retail, whether it be airlines, small business, or, yes, oil. How about the rest of the market? Okay, look at this. On a bad day, Amazon, Shopify, Vertex, Abbott all managed to rally because of the other side of the trade. No, not of the oil trade, of the COVID trade. These are companies that do just fine during a pandemic. Some of them benefit from the lockdown. Shopify, will you see that? Amazon. Others make essential medications like Vertex for cystic fibrosis. And, of course, Abbott's got the coronavirus test. I think the president called it the hot one. What should we do? 
take a breath. Oil's a distortion, a financial distortion. Oh, sure, it deserved to break down today, but not this much. Uh, that's what the action in the oil producers tells us. Some of their stocks, like Apache, barely down. The main takeaway from today is that our economy remains closed. And when an economy is closed, guess what? You don't need a lot of fossil fuels. Bottom line, I rack my brains trying to figure out which businesses can thrive at a time. Let's see. Gasoline is cheap. You need to stay in your car. You can't congregate. Can't go to the movies. And you know what? My makeup person came up with it. We need to bring back the drive-in movie theater. It's the only out-of-home entertainment that's cheap and not too dangerous to enjoy. Let's go to Rob in Kentucky. Rob! Booyah, Professor Jimmy C. from the postponed 2020 Kentucky Derby City. Oh, well, look, I mean, I've been to the Derby many times, and I will be to the Derby again, all right? So let's get rolling. Third time caller every night viewer. My question, is there any luster left in the golden arches of McDonald's? Or would I be better off putting some dough in Domino's pizza? And thanks from all of us home gamers. Oh, you're terrific. Thank you. McDonald's is at 2.75% yield. So therefore, I think it could go lower. The, these stocks, these, tend, these big consumer stocks tend to stop at three. Domino's pizza is the way you eat in the time of COVID. I like it even up here. Wow. Nick in New Jersey. Nick. Booyah, Jimmy Chell. Yo, yo, man. What's up? Uh, first time, long time caller. Grew up in Bucks County and Eagles fan. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Let's hope they play. But not if we're going to get sick. What's up? My question is, I bought Owens and Miners, a speculative stock I saw in Mad Money. About yeah, wasn't that something? Yep. I saw you had him on recently. And since we're going to be wearing masks for a while... Buy, sell, or hold. No, I like what he had to say, Paseca. I thought that he was very uh, on his game. I think that as far as I'm concerned, it's a great spec. You call it a spec, I'm calling it a spec, and it's a great spec. How about Ed in Massachusetts? Ed. Hey, biggity, biggity, booyah, Kramer. Well, there you go. I like that a lot. What's going on? Yeah, I want to give a quick shout-out to my friends and fraternity brothers who are all missing carnival down there in the Berg. Uh, So I'll see you guys next year. I know you love it there yourself. There you go. Um, nice shout out. My question is my question is about a conglomerate called Newell Brands, ticker NWL. Yeah. It owns six brands of Rubbermaid, Crockpot, Ball, Sharpie, Coleman. Um, they make PPE also, it would appear, various uh, rubber gloves, some cleaning supplies like sponges and mops, food storage containers. Right. They also have- Mr. Coffee, Crock-Pot, bread No, they own a look. They have, you know, that's a, a stay-at-home company that I would normally be recommending, except for the fact that it has a lot of debt. It took on a lot of debt, and it's got a 7% yield, which to me says be careful because any company's yielding more than 5 6%, you got to do a lot of work on. I am not sold on the idea that Newell is ready yet to come out of the doldrums that it was in. All right, listen, we are in uncharted territory. We're seeing historical divergences right now, and boy, are they confusing as all get out. On Mad Money tonight, U.S. crude prices dropped more than 100% and turned negative for the first time in history. I'm talking with energy expert Russia Brazil to find out what it all means for the market. Then, one of the world's most iconic companies just reported earnings with a new man at the helm. All right, people don't like it short term, but I say, let's give him a chance. Let's talk to the CEO. And Robert has suffered repeated allergies during the recent market turmoil. Well, the reports that the company's cl- uh, closing on a fundraiser at about $8 billion. I'm getting the bottom of all this action with Private Player's co-founder. And believe it or not, it's real positive. So stay with 
Famer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Some bonds last a lifetime. Some bonds inspire confidence. And some you grow to rely on. These are the bonds worth investing in. For nearly 50 years, PIMCO has reinvented fixed income to create opportunities for investors in every market environment. So no matter what happens, you can build the bonds that mean the most to you. PIMCO, a global leader in active fixed income. Learn more at PIMCO.com bonds. All investments contain risk and may lose value. Consult your investment professional before investing. top, I talked about the craziness in the oil patch. Today we watch as the price of West Texas Intermediate Crude for May delivery went from the high teens to less than zero just in one session. The refiners don't want it. There's no storage space left, so sellers are literally paying buyers to take this stuff off their hands. Do you know as the panic spread? Oil prices went to absurdly low levels. It closed at negative $37.63. You probably think that couldn't happen. How do we make sense of this? I'm going to consult the guy who's gotten it right the whole darn time, the no BS guy who has helped me save you from these stocks and who guides me literally daily every weekday morning before 6 a.m. Rusty Brazil of RBN Energy. Get his take, by the way, also at rbnenergy.com. Rusty, thank heavens you're available. Welcome back to Mad Money. Well, it's, I would say under normal circumstance, good to be here, but I'm not so sure that's true today. <laughs> well, Rusty, you told me that it could go to zero. Uh, you didn't tell me it could go to negative. What? You said it. <laughs> could you please explain yeah, to I us missed what that one. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> could you please explain to us what the hell happened today? Yeah. So really, Jim, today was a paper market problem. It was a squeeze in the futures market. So what happens is that the CME, NYMEX, May, WTI futures contract, it expires tomorrow. It's a physically settled contract. That means any company that bought a contract is obligated to receive physical barrels tomorrow afternoon or obligated to receive those barrels starting physically if they permitted tomorrow afternoon unless they get out of it before the market closes. It's what they call a convergence. Futures market and the cash market converge on the final day of trading in a contract. May, that's tomorrow. Unfortunately, a few uh, unfortunate souls waited a bit too late. Uh, buyers read the tea leaves that there were some guys that needed to get out of the market. Uh, they figured there was no way out besides, uh, besides to sell those contracts for whatever price there was. The sharks closed in, and that's what we got negative prices. But the bottom line is what happened today was not about physical barrels. Uh, most of the physical barrels deals got done last week. They'll settle on formula prices. Uh, and so I'm not saying that physical barrels might not go to zero eventually, uh, but, uh, but nevertheless, that's not what happened today. What happened today was a paper market problem. Well, we understand the paper market could be an ETF like the USO, for instance, which I would think is some product that was come up, that people came up with that really weren't doesn't work. Well, it it, it, it it works some of the time. Unfortunately, it doesn't work some of the time. This is one of those times that it doesn't work. So, uh, so yes, they they are rumored to be uh, one of the companies that uh, was uh, big on the wrong side of the market. 
And because they had to get out and because the market figured out they had to get out, that was part of the problem. But who is happened. they? Who is the they in the USO? <laughs> the, the they, the they, uh, well, in, in terms of, of who has that uh, ex- exchange traded fund, right. uh, that's, uh, that's uh, the, the U.S. Uh, commodities funds that actually, uh, that actually manages that, uh, that well, did they blow up? Did they, they, the guys they Someone blew sorry, up, Rusty, right? Didn't someone blow up? Uh, yeah, I, I, again, what we hear is they blew up. Right. Okay. Now, isn't China the winner and we're the loser? China needs oil. We have too much oil. Well, uh, you know, uh, right now the entire world has too much oil. So part of the issue is that that we really haven't hit that point where the physical market is below zero. The physical market right. was trading in the low teens uh, last week. That's one of the reasons most of the market was expecting this to happen. Uh, I, I got emails uh, uh, three weeks ago laying out that this is what a lot of traders thought was going to happen, not necessarily right. funds, but that somebody was going to get caught. And, and that's precisely what's happened here. Uh, but the entire world is long on crude oil, and the entire world is short on storage capacity. And that means the longer COVID lasts, the longer that we sit in the situation where demand is way down, but supply has not fallen off to the level of demand, it means that storage capacity continues to fill up. And most people are thinking that sometime in the not-too-distant future, storage is going to fill up. And when that happens, we could be talking about physical market negative prices. Well, but why doesn't the president step in and buy every single barrel since he's being paid to fill up the strategic petroleum reserve? If, even if he did that, it would take weeks, if not months, to get that crude oil into storage. You can't just kind of turn a tap and, and millions of barrels a day flow into crude oil storage. Uh, it happen, has to happen over time. And unfortunately, everything that's happening right now is at light speed. The physical barrels, the, the any kind of government purchasing program can't keep up with this. Okay, now, how much of this is is Saudi Arabia and Russia? How much of it is COVID? I would say that, uh, yeah, and just off the top of my head, 15% of this is Saudi Arabia and Russia, and 85% of it is COVID. All right, now, one of the things that I think really scared people today, Rusty, is minus 37. I mean, it was at my, zero, we get that, minus 10, minus 20. Why wasn't there someone there who could go and buy it and buy and put it on a tanker? Uh, Again, it's a paper market problem. So we were not talking about physical barrels. You can't take a piece of paper and put it on a tanker and do any good with it. Right. So, again, you can't look at today and, and the severity of the negative price as something that applies to the physical market. Really wasn't. It was a paper market squeeze of the of the, of the trade, trade and future funds and others that just got caught at the last minute. They didn't get out of their paper in time, and the, the market, market took them task for that. Uh, in terms of what's going to happen over the next few weeks, whenever prices get cheap, people are filling up storage. Storage in Cushing is filling up. Storage all over the rest of the United States is filling up. Storage offshore in VLCCs uh, uh, is filling up. So people are handling that. It'll happen over time, whether it's enough or not, depends all on what happens to COVID. Do we come out of COVID in a few weeks and everybody's driving again and demand kicks back in? Or are we going to be living with this for a while in case this situation is going to continue to get worse? Okay, so Rusty, what goes on with the industry? What happens to, we have all these oil and gas companies. We had phenomenal success here. And does it all just go kerflui? I mean, what occurs? 
Well, I, I think given what the market looks like right now is you're going to have a number of producers that are going to be shutting in their production rather than producing at these levels. For the most part, at least as we understand it, uh, the, you can shut in a, uh, a crude oil well, uh, a typical shale well, and it not really do uh, any damage to the reservoir. So you can kind of think of it like uh, if I don't produce the, the oil that could come out of my well today, I'm kind of leaving it into storage. So uh, to the extent that it makes financial sense to do that, I think you're going to see a number of producers take that action. Now, whether or not their balance sheets can hold up under that situation, right. what happens to their hedges under that situation, uh, th those are all separate questions that really don't have, uh, uh, they're, they're related to what happens in the oil patch, but, but they're somewhat divorced from it. It's a financial issue rather than a physical issue. All right. Well, look, let's leave it at that. It's a financial issue, not the actual physical, not the end of the world, but certainly not a good time. Right, Rusty? Not a, not a good time. And just the last thing to keep in mind, Jim, is that it, it could be a physical issue in the not too distant future. Right. We're just not there yet. And it all depends on COVID. Gotcha. All depends on COVID. Like we said at the top, that's Rusty Brazil of RBN Energy. Pretty sobering, isn't it? We have money's back at the break. What's up, everybody? I'm Graham Bunn. So excited to introduce you to Country Shine, where we're talking all things country music. That's right, and I'm Cameron Irwin, co-host and resident country girl at Tinseltown, here to welcome you to the family. Every Tuesday, we'll update you on the latest in country music, culture, and community. And on Fridays, I'll bring on country musicians and all the biggest names in the game. It's a gathering, and we want you here. You can listen to Country Shine with me, Graham Bunn, for free right here on Spotify. Let's talk tech. IBM just reported a solid quarter after the close today. While their sales came in a bit light, their earnings were higher than expected, thanks to strengthening the rapidly growing cloud division, a division that was augmented by the purchase of Red Hat not that long ago. Now, some may not like every line of this quarterly report, but I think there is a resilience and a history here at IBM that I like, as well as a plan for growth that I think is on target, even as many other companies are falling under the weight of COVID-19. The architect of that plan, which includes a strong hybrid cloud offering, as well as solid artificial intelligence platform. It's our next guest. It's Arvind Krishna, who has just taken over as CEO of this venerable company you know, a few weeks ago. Let's take the temperature of IBM through the words of Mr. Krishna. Arvind, welcome to Mad Money. Arvind, you're the 10th CEO. There have not been many CEOs at IBM, and this is your first chance to speak. I'm delighted you're on the call. To me, this is a quarter that shows the financial strength of a company beyond just the growth. And I think a lot of people like to hear from you how you feel about the cash flow, how you feel about the money being made, and that this company is the rock of Gibraltar in a very dicey time. Uh, thanks, Jim. First, let me just acknowledge but the crisis we're all going through, and my heart goes out to everybody around the globe who's dealing with uh, COVID-19. But I'm also proud of all the IBMers who have performed their work so well, even though over 95% of them are working from home. So, going back to the quarter, IBM runs the most critical processes for our clients, and these are some of the most critical systems on the planet, whether it's credit card processing, it's interbank payments, retail banking, and so on. And so this demonstrates, our results demonstrate, 
the high-value segments that we have chosen to be in. We begin with a strong balance sheet. We add to that good cash flow. We have access to markets, which results in good liquidity, which will allow us to weather the storm really well. And that's something we should all be proud of. Well, in that sense, I'd like to hear that there is a commitment to the dividend because you're one of the highest yielding companies uh, in the S&P, but one of the few yields I'd like to think I, I can trust. (laughs) Absolutely, Jim. And the reason that liquidity I mentioned is so important, because it allows us to secure our dividend. And that is what uh, we have stated to the street many, many times. Now, Arvin, you are the architect of the current strategy. And, you know, I I was a great fan of Ginny Rometty and everything she's done. But a lot of what we're seeing is what you personally have put together, including Red Hat, which you know is an acquisition I thought the most was just a brilliant transformative acquisition. That has accelerated in growth, and yet there's been no degradation elsewhere. This pastiche that you've created looks like that you're finally going to give us the growth that we want over multi-years. I'm not necessarily talking because you had to withdraw guidance. I get that. But over multi-years because of the path that you put us on here. Absolutely, Jim. Look, the strategy we are on on hybrid cloud with uh, Red Hat at the center of that is something that I put together with Ginny. And you mentioned Ginny, and I'll acknowledge that it was something that I did, but with a lot of help from her, and we got that done. Hybrid cloud is really the ability to take the 20% of cloud penetration that is true today and go after the next 80%. And the workloads there are much more mission critical in nature and much more enterprise in nature. We've categorized that as a $1.2 trillion market, half of which is services, and we feel incredibly well positioned to go and take a leadership position in that. So definitely that's a big part of it. The second part is uh, acquiring Red Hat. And Red Hat was growing in the mid-teens before we acquired it. This quarter and the prior quarter were both billion-dollar quarters, the very first time in Red Hat's history, and growth accelerated. So I feel really good about that as well, and it shows the strategy that is working, and it shows the demand that is there for those products and capabilities. And the third piece in there is we kind of began with less than 1,000 customers for a product called OpenShift from Red Hat, and that's gone to over 2,000 customers as of now. So really three really good vectors of momentum on hybrid cloud as well as on Red Hat itself and as well as on OpenShift. I think a lot of people also are excited about some of the things that I know that you have talked to us before. Uh, I had the privilege to to meet you at a lunch here uh, at CBC, artificial intelligence. And what artificial intelligence means for the world that right now that we're facing with COVID-19. Jim, it's a great question. I'm going to begin with a really quick example and then come back to a bit more of a macro view on artificial intelligence. We began a great project. It just took a couple of days down at the Children's Hospital in Atlanta. And they were getting too many calls from parents worried about their children. And we created a Watson assistant specifically for that hospital on their protocol, so it's their health protocols, that could answer and triage out over a 1,000 queries from parents. So as opposed to taking up nurses and doctors' time, the Watson assistant triaged those out and then actually handed them off for the ones that needed to be uh, to the medical staff. I think that's a great example of how AI can help 
really improve human productivity, especially when there's a shortage of skills. Now, there's not just one of those. There's over 25 of those live. There's another 90 of those in the, in the offings and uh, off and running. But it really speaks to what we all believe is a $16 trillion market for productivity driven by AI as AI can infuse every business process and really help optimize it. And when we look at that market, we're only 4% in. This is a wonderful opportunity for all of us to embrace. And I think this crisis is going to make the adoption of AI even faster than we could have predicted before. Now, at the same time, I want people to understand that you have, have a model that held up well during the great financial crisis because of something called recurring revenue. And your recurring revenue continues to grow. And I think people should recognize that that is how they should view the company beyond just the growth prospects. There was really great recurring revenue even in the last month of this quarter. Yeah. So, Jim, this goes back to the point of the solidity in the balance sheet and the cash flow. So over 60% of our revenue is what we would call recurring revenue, meaning we don't have to transact for it in that quarter, and, we, and it should be very, very uh, slightly changing. This contrasts with about 47% that we had as recurring about a decade ago, and that is a big contrast. So with that 60% fairly robust, it really allows us to have a lot of confidence in our business model and as well the diversity that we have in our geographies and our industries. While certain industries are going to get impacted, we are not overly exposed to those. The majority of our revenue comes from financial services, the public sector, which is inclusive of health Mm -hmm. and government, and telecommunications. So that must be one of the reasons why global business services, which you know I was concerned about, because these other businesses, incumbent businesses we call them, uh, I was worried about stagnation. But global business services, you hit it out of the park. It absolutely did. When you look at many of the projects they do, you went back to uh, application modernization driven by hybrid cloud. You talk about artificial intelligence uh, projects. You talk about really as the world wants to get digital and get digital faster even in these uh, crisis days of COVID-19. I think that's a big opportunity for global business services. Now, I wouldn't say they'll be completely immune to this, but I think the portfolio we have selected should make us uh, more robust than many others. Uh, One last question. It's a difficult time, but we need optimism. You are uh, a realist who is optimistic. What does it feel like to take over the helm of a great American company at a time of of tremendous turmoil around the world? Well, Jim, I've got to begin with, I have immense confidence that we are going to emerge even stronger from this pandemic. And By the way, as you mentioned right in the beginning, I have immense confidence that our strategy and the portfolio we have selected is going to allow for growth in the longer term. Now, both those put together, I see how our people are reacting. I see how our clients are reacting. And the two put together really give me confidence in the ability of us together as a world to go use technology for the better. Well, I want to uh, first congratulate you on a a quarter and many others are following. Second, thank you for coming on Mad Money for your inaugural, because I think there are many good years ahead. And a lot of this is your strategy. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you, Jim. That's Arvind Krishna, CEO of IBM. 5% yield held up really well during the great financial crisis. New person at the helm whom I trust. Mad Money's back to the break. 
few months ago, the whole brokerage industry was being shaken up by Robinhood's commission-free trading model, privately held disruptor simply, well, it seemed totally ascendant. In the immortal words of Biggie Smalls, though, more money, more problems. As the pandemic spread all over the world, Robinhood saw an unprecedented surge in trading volumes and time their systems couldn't handle it. They went down, stayed down during some of the most intense trading days of the first quarter. Uh, that's frustrating. But with sources saying Robinhood is raising new capital, an $8 billion valuation, what should we make of the company? Well, let's check in with Vlad Tenev. He's the co-founder and co-CEO of Robinhood. Get a better sense of the service issues, what caused them, the jaw-dropping trading volumes last quarter, and how well the company's doing. Mr. Tenev, welcome back to Mad Money. Thanks for having me, Jim. It's a pleasure as always. All right, so Vlad, I've known you for a while now, and I know that the people who love Robinhood love it like people who love Tesla love Tesla. So I need to know, you had outages. There had to be some people who were frustrated. Has it led to a fall off in business, or is business strong? Yeah, like you mentioned, you know, we have, uh, like many businesses, faced our share of challenges with the uh, coronavirus pandemic. I think that we've sort of had a two-phased impact. One is obviously with any business, we've had to deal with work from home. And, you know, for me personally, having two little kids running around, also the uh, historic market conditions that um, we haven't seen since the founding of Robinhood and really haven't seen uh, since 2000, 2008. So um, we had some service interruptions. We know customers uh, need Robinhood and love Robinhood and expect it to be up when they need it the most. And we've been investing a whole lot in not only mitigating the causes of the outages that we had about six weeks ago, but um, reliability and service quality has been and continues to be our number one priority as a business. And have the customers embraced that there are issues because it is a pretty one COVID is pretty unbelievable uh, and accepted it and continued to trade or people just said, you know what, I'm going to go elsewhere. Yeah, there's there's uh, there's a few things that have happened. Uh, Number one, I, I think it's important to note and quite humbling that Robinhood has continued to have over 50 percent of the market share of new brokerage accounts. So what that means is out of all of the brokerage accounts that are being uh, opened industry-wide, Robinhood is getting uh, over half of them, including more than all of the incumbent legacy providers put together. Uh, We're also getting over half of mobile app downloads. So we're continuing to be uh, the go-to place for customers on mobile. And we've seen uh, record trading volumes and uh, record depositing activity into the platform um, in recent months as well. I know uh, because of uh, some issues involving what I mentioned my, about fundraising activity, which I know you can't talk about, you may not be able to address this, but we saw each other last at 10 million. Is there any way you can update that figure? Uh, unfortunately, I can't update that figure, but um, I can tell you that in March, you know, our volumes of daily trades have been up about 3x what we were seeing in Q4 of last year. Net deposits, so that's customers moving cash into the platform to buy uh, to buy securities, have been up 17x, so almost 20x what we were seeing in Q4. And it's not just trading volumes, but uh, it's the buying activity that has been uh, quite fascinating and interesting. Customers are bringing in cash to buy and go long securities. So um, we've seen people buying uh, both companies that 
are particularly well poised to take advantage of the new environment. So lots of uh, interest in video conferencing in uh, certain pharmaceuticals that are developing um, vaccines or, or treatments for, for COVID-19. And we've also seen a lot of interest in companies that uh, customers perhaps feel have been oversold into the pandemic with companies like American Airlines, Carnival Cruise, uh, entering the top 10 of traded stocks on Robinhood. Well, that's incredible. So they are, this, I presume, again, these are younger generation investors who are looking to get into something that perhaps over a long term might end up being good in investments, which is kind of how the, you're supposed to invest. Exactly. You know, over half of our customers are first time investors, and we take that responsibility very seriously. Uh, we know that um, it's an important milestone in every investor's life, making that first investment. And a lot of people are thinking it's a good time to start. People that have maybe sat out 2018, 2019 because of all the concerns with the yield curve rever- inverting, with maybe concerns that the market was at historic highs. Right. Uh, now the sentiment definitely seems to be shifting. Okay, so number one most bought stock is a company that shows that people have faith and are interested in defeating uh, COVID, and that's Innovio Pharma, which we've had on from Plymouth Meeting. So they're buying this dip, and now they're actually doing quite well if they bought it. Yes, uh, like I mentioned before, you know, there's been uh, Innovio, along with a few others, have entered the top 10, and uh, customers are excited and uh, sort of looking at a lot of these companies that they think could uh, perform very well in the new environment and uh, looking at them as buying opportunities. I think what's really exciting here is they uh, I look at a stock like Disney and I try to tell people, OK, near term, not so good. Long term, the best. That, again, is what people seem to be thinking who are customers at Robinhood. Absolutely. You know, Disney was in the top 10 of our most uh, most held stocks even before COVID. Um, We've seen really rapid increases in the number of holders. And I think customers are optimistic about the long term. You know, they're seeing all the things that the company is doing with Disney Plus, and um, they think it's well positioned to take advantage of pretty much any market environment. What do you think is happening here? You've got Elderly people or people in their 30s and 40s, they all want to go out. They don't want anything to do with it. At the same time, you have younger people embracing it, which is great for Robin Hood. Great, hopefully, for you to be able to do a, a big fundraise, frankly, because it seems like it's your time. Yeah, I mean, like I mentioned before, we're humbled by um, the amount of customers that are signing up and opening accounts on the platform. We take that responsibility very seriously. And the team has been uh, working really, really hard to not just get out new products and features like fractional shares, which right. uh, I announced on your platform a couple of months ago. Which they like, which, by right? the way. They like those. Yeah, they, it's, it's our uh, number one most requested feature. The wait list got up to well over 2 million. Incredible. I know it was about 250,000 when I, when I last came on your show. So we've been really excited to roll that out and to make uh, really large investments in service quality and reliability, like I mentioned earlier. Well, I'm so glad that I know that you wanted to address those. I know that personally you were probably horrified because you do everything you can for your customers from the day I met you. And it seems like that they are sticking with you. And then some I want to thank you, Vlad Tenev. 
co-founder and co-CEO of Robinhood for coming on Mad Money. Great to see you, sir. Absolutely. Great to see you as well. See, the younger people get it. They're not afraid. It's just the elderly that are afraid. Come on. Get with the program. Mad Money's back into the break. It is time to the light and then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski dad to the lightning round because you're with Sandra in North Carolina. Sandra. Hi, Tim. Thank you for having me this evening. And uh, our family really enjoys watching you. And we actually try to teach our teens oh, about investment. And we are heavily invested in Amazon because we love it. Um, but another one we've been kind of eyeing is Chipotle. My kids love I think Chipotle is good if you can get it under 800. Remember, this is a stock that is kind of impervious. Why? Because it's got a great balance sheet. And that's what we're looking at is balance sheets. And it's terrific. But let it come in a little. Gerard, New Jersey. Gerard. Jim, booyah. Booyah. Yeah, so one of your take on e-commerce fashion company Revolve, RDLV. The e-commerce no companies that this market likes are two. They like Amazon, and it likes Shopify. And that's really it. And everything else is just tilting at windmills. Let's go to Doug in California. Doug. Jim, I need your intelligence and your opinion. Anheuser-Busch, is it a buy or a sell? I'm sorry, I talked over that. Which one? Oh, Anheuser-Busch? No. I mean, look, it's got a good yield. It's 4%. But, you know, look, I am a giant believer that you need growth when you buy stocks, which is why I keep coming back to Constellation Brands. Down six bucks. Don't forget, you also got that canopy growth kicker. People are liking those stocks, not just because it's 420. Daniel in California. Daniel. Hey, Jim. Booyah. A big fan of the show. Thank you. Hey, thank you for having me on. I'm also watching uh, the men who built America right now, and your commentary uh, on that's been really that's, great. That, that's a nice one. They did a little while ago, but I appreciate that. Yeah, thank it's, you. it's great. Just wanted to hear your thoughts uh, on the Diamond Eagle acquisition. Well, that's a blank of- check company. We don't know. I mean, I'm not going to give anybody a blank check. I, I, I mean, it's tough enough for giving my wife a blank check. I'd like to see what they're going to own. Let's go to Andrew in California. Andrew. Booyah. Hey, Jim, how are you? I am good, Andrew. How about you? I'm doing all right, thanks. Andrew here in San Francisco. My question is on Winnebago, who also owns Chris Craft Yachts. I like Winnebago. I think Winnebago is going to be the preferred way that people are going to be vacationing when you're not sure about a hotel. I have friends who are actually using Winnebago's to go see relatives. I think it's a good call. Erwin in New York. Erwin. Hey, Erwin. How are, I'm Erwin. Jim, how are you? Are you still I am good. I am good. What's up? Are you open in Brooklyn? Are you doing takeout? Uh, you know what? We're going to. I mean, I'm going to have to take a little uh, burden there because I didn't get a loan. Uh, but that's all right. Need, uh, because you know use, what? I got I employees I like. Sometimes that's all that matters. Let's go. I'm sorry. Send over a couple of margaritas. I'm calling about Clorox. So the normal circumstances, I would say it's doing... Very, very well. But right, so Clorox was something that, you know, today we own it for the Travel Trust. And believe it, you know, I put it up for with uh, Jeff Marks and with Zeb Fiem. I said, what do you think we should do? It was up four at one point. And I, did, I said, no, let's just hold on to it. It's a great stock, but boy, it gave it back up. And I think you should hold on to it in that. Ladies and gentlemen, good of the lightning round. 
The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. So my wife, Lisa, yesterday, first time since the beginning of March, it was glorious. She surprised me from the back door with a bag of bagels and lox bread. She arrived with masks, no gloves, during our now usual Sunday boozy brunch with the rest of the family that we host on Zoom, the one that keeps us grounded, the one that keeps us sane. It was a fabulous moment because it was our fifth anniversary and we hadn't really been able to celebrate. Oh, we had Joe Stone crabs that she had shipped from Miami, one to her place, one to my place, memories of another old celebration the night before. Uh, but it's just not the same as seeing each other for real. We devoured our bagels and locks bread, rejoiced about eight feet apart because we judged that to be the safe distance. We don't trust the six-foot rule. I passed up a gathering of friends in similar circumstances the day before because I figured I'd get the virus by not being careful. My wife stayed for about an hour, their mask on, except to eat the bagel. And while we felt vulnerable during those moments, it was otherwise safe right down to the elbow shake goodbye. And I got to tell you, even the elbow shake, well, it felt a little unsafe to me. Welcome to the new era, the era of being very. Some bonds last a lifetime. Some bonds inspire confidence. And some you grow to rely on. These are the bonds worth investing in. For nearly 50 years, PIMCO has reinvented fixed income to create opportunities for investors in every market environment. So no matter what happens, you can build the bonds that mean the most to you. PIMCO, a global leader in active fixed income. Learn more at PIMCO.com bonds. All investments contain risk and may lose value. Consult your investment professional before investing.